Welcome to What's Your Beef? Each week we will introduce you to people working in the beef industry and some of the characters that help deliver the iconic event that is Beef Australia. Hello, this is What's Your Beef and I'm Jane Cudahy. Alicia Parker is one of those people I get a bit dizzy trying to keep track of. An accomplished practising lawyer, cattle producer, home tutor, rural advocate and business owner. I'm convinced she's secretly figured out how to add hours to her day. Hello, Alicia. Hi, Jane. (laughs) We will get to all the various parts of your professional career soon, but I realise it's quite a lot to put on a business card. (laughs) How do you identify what you do exactly? Well, I guess, um, Jane, yeah, I do a few different um, hats, but I still feel like a, a master of none. But um, yeah. Um, well, that's definitely from... not true. This is why I'm asking you to put it in your own words, because when I think of you, it's it's cattle sales, it's your online business, it's your lawyer, it's your rural advocacy. So I just, I'm curious and I, I've known you for some time. What's, how do you identify yourself? Yeah, well, I guess um, mentioning that, Jane, you and I did uh, School of the Air together through Chartered Cows back in the day. So, um, Full disclosure. So we've both been, in the, <laughs> both been in the cattle industry for um, virtually all of our lives. So I guess um, that's something that I've always been um, passionate about and passionate about the future of, particularly with um, my own children. Um, uh, and I've got my uh, agribusiness, which is cattle sales, .com.au, an online advertising platform for our cattle, but I am still practicing as a lawyer, which has been my other um, passion for many years. Um, and I do that remotely thanks to the better internet we have now and advancements in technology. I do that from Clermont, um, from my Brisbane based law firm. So um, I sort of work between the, the two industries, I guess. But um, yeah, equally. So you're, you're remote working COVID lockdown before it was even trendy? Yes, well, I did have an influx of requests of uh, fellow office co-workers that wanted to move to Claremont once COVID hit, <laughs> wanting to come and share my isolated office space and home. But um, no, I've been doing that for uh, about 13 years now, been working remotely. So yeah, a bit of a COVID practiced expert, I guess. So after you went to Brisbane and studied law, um, I don't imagine that Claremont was high on the jobs list for practicing lawyers. What brought you back up to that particular region? Well, I'd grown up around Claremont, um, so I went and did uh, uni in Brisbane and had a, a great time in Brisbane for a couple of years with all of the uh, great things that a big city can offer. But I guess at the end of the day, most uh, weekends I had my car parked in Queen Street ready to head out on Friday afternoon <laughs> and leave the city. Um, so I still like visiting um, Brisbane, but I have always preferred uh, living in a regional area and, yeah, I moved back up here in uh, 2007 and unfortunately already been working in the firm for five years throughout the entirety of my degree which made it um, easy to transition to working remotely and gave me that experience to be able to do that which I'm very fortunate of. Was that a hard sell when you sort of relatively new in the industry and just well you know I want to go back to this really remote part of Queensland how do you feel about that? Well, I had a, a, a great boss. I still have the same uh, great boss of the firm I've been working for for 18 years. And um, I I sort of landed in the, the role of if there was anything 
remote or regional that had to be attended to. I was the one that was sent to track the rice farms and things like that um, in the line of work that we do. So um, so they knew all along that, um, you know, I had lived remotely and that's what I like to do. And um, our line of work, we mostly work with elderly people and some are too unwell to travel. So a lot of it's done by phone um, and, you know, that sort of thing anyway. So it really wasn't too big of a difficulty provided I had that experience, you know, before I left, which was great. Well, then... Obviously, you've come back around into the beef industry and I guess Beef Australia popped its head up quite early in that transition. How did you get involved with Beef Australia? Yeah, well, that's right, Jane. I guess um, I look back on Beef 2009 as a bit of a launching platform probably for what I have done since then. I um, applied for what was the um, Beef Australia 2009 Young Ambassador uh, award, which um, was an amazing process, um, starting with some judging uh, earlier in the week, and we got to participate in the Next Gen program um, throughout the week of the 2009 event, and then it culminated with the announcement of the award, which I was very um, fortunate to have been awarded. So um, from there, I got to represent Beef Australia at a few different events in Australia and also go to the US in 2010. So I got a lot of opportunities out of that and um, chances I wouldn't have had had I not done the program. And looking back on it, um, I certainly credit that being why I went down a number of paths. I did, um, you know, just one example, for instance, was I went to a Future Farmers Network meet and greet event at the Beef 2009 event, I'd never heard of Future Farmers um, Network before. And then uh, within a couple of years of that, I was on the board of FFN and spent a couple of years on the board. And, um, you know, that was just one of the stepping stones into something that led on from that beef event. So I do look back on that first beef event quite fondly. Yeah, amazing. And you've been involved ever since through the Next Gen program. And that's that's quite close to your heart too, isn't it? Definitely. I love the, the Next Gen program at Beef and um, it's been great to see it grow, um, you know, since 2009 and, and even before that. But um, yeah, I was on the, the, the committee for 2012 and 15 events and um, chaired the committee for the 2018 event. And I've met some fantastic young people and been part of some of the, the new programs and events we've developed um, that are part of the Next Gen program um, but now that I'm um, past that 35-year age cut-off, <laughs> I think uh, <laughs> I'm sort of washed up and I've been repurposed to another part of beef. But, yeah, I had a really great time being part of the Next Gen program. What are you saying, that all of our Next Gen opportunities are now gone? Yes, Jane, oh. we're officially over the hill. <laughs> oh. um, I'm still in denial. <laughs> I'm 26 in my head. Um Alicia, you, through the next gen, I guess, you know, you said you're very passionate about it and there's some terrific um, programs and initiatives to come out of it, including the Graham Act and Beef Connections program. And there's, I guess you, you're quite privileged to have seen such a diverse and passionate group of people come through. What are some of the, the highlights that you have seen through that program over time? Because actually it was your brainchild too, really, wasn't it? It was your committee that really kicked that off. Yeah, not my brainchild personally. It was the 2015 <laughs> Next Gen Committee that I was one of a member of. Um, so, yeah, we uh, had this idea that um, the Young Ambassador Program that I'd been part of for the 2009 event had sort of um, been reshaped and we were looking at launching something new for that Next Gen age bracket and having a greater involvement in the beef events. and. Um, the idea sort of flew once we started with it um, and then we were very fortunate the Acton family was 
um, really privileged and, and happy for the program to be named in memory of um, Graham being a legend of the the industry and really passionate about young people and industry. So it was a great fit. And um, so we launched prior to the 2015 event and we had close to about 50 applicants from memory. And, and you know, it's the same again in 2018 and the calibre of people coming um, you know, through and that were applying and the projects that they were pitching was just amazing. I was very privileged to see that part of it. Um, and, you know, it gets cut down just to eight or nine participants in the end who all, you know, develop their projects, which are each in their own right, you know, great um, projects with some fantastic outcomes. But it's certainly been amazing to be part of those groups and to see those next gen people come through and, and what they're achieving in industry now. Most groups that I'm involved with, and I get asked this a lot, and I imagine you're, you would too in your extensive range of roles, how to get young people involved in rural industries and come back to the bush and be involved. Do you have any silver bullets or ideas on, on how that would work? Certainly got no silver bullets, Jane, but, and I guess I've been fortunate in the things that I have done over the last few years have been surrounded by such passionate and active young people. Um, I do sometimes, you know, have to remember that there is still that struggle there because I am surrounded by such great, um, passionate young people that want You've to. You've got the self-starters around you, but they're not the only ones. Is that what you're? Yeah, yeah, and and I guess sometimes it's it's probably just a matter too of young people just maybe not having that self-confidence um, to give it a go. I know you've um, interviewed Amanda Moon on on the podcast already and she's one of my favourite um, highlights of the 2015 participants because I remember chatting to her and, you know, she said at the time in 2015 she really didn't have the confidence to do public speaking or was sort of even, you know, doubting herself applying and being part of the program. And the program, um, you know, she credits so much of um, some of her development to to working with a mentor and working through that program and so much so that in 2018 she emceed and hosted the Graham Acton uh, Beef Connections luncheon for our committee so um, you know she went ahead leaps and bounds and I just wish more young people would I guess back themselves and and have that confidence to be part of some of these things that are an offer and and realize the opportunities it could give them because certainly um, I can look back and see some of the opportunities I've had of being from programs like this. Do you think there's a bit of a, maybe some of our older peers need to take more initiative in, in getting or, you know, nominating some of these young people? Like I guess we're looking – we're talking about the self-starters and the people that can get out and, and back themselves. But as as you know, that there's still a lot left there. So does the industry as a whole need to be better at sort of building some of that confidence and pointing out some opportunities and giving them a little – not leg up, but certainly some encouragement. Yeah, definitely, Jane. And and those paths are there for that nomination process and so many of these things. And I know um, even myself, I have nominated some of the, the people I've met through Beef Connections program and, and wider in my networks for some of these programs um, and tried to give them, you know, people that, that bump along even if they're not willing to do it themselves because I think um, yeah, there's a great pool of young people out there that um, – have a hell of a lot of potential. Well, I guess not everyone has to be a president or on a board or running a committee. You know, it is a lot of the time we just want your ideas. Yeah, definitely. And that's the great part about the Next Gen program with Beef is that there's a really active, great committee. I'm going to try and get people from all aspects of 
the industry and from different states as well to bring that wider perspective. And it's a great way to to interact with some of your peers and to, to make that stepping stone into a more active role. So, yeah, there's definitely those opportunities out there that's not, you know, necessarily having to take on a president's cap or something <laughs> or or a treasurer's that's my great fear um <laughs> your annabelle woods is your co-founder of cattlesales.com.au uh, which is your marketing platform tell us about that because at the time both of you had a lot on your plate but this was obviously something that you both felt very strongly about yeah so annabelle and i have um uh, met through secondary school, but both had a, a background in the beef industry, and um, we, I guess, um, we we worked together more closely when um, we were both involved with the Future Farmers Network. So there again, another leverage from that. Um, we had an idea about taking advertising of cattle online, um, given it's such a generally isolated and remote commodity. Yet we were, you know, sort of still using newspapers or you know just word of mouth or an agent's. Uh, networks which are obviously limited by districts and areas to be advertising cattle available and I guess we were just seeing increasing amounts of programs and accreditations you know PCAS and the organic status um, being raised things like that and so people looking even further to source exactly what they're looking for yet um, they're reaching that problem of it not being online and it being immensely time consuming trying to find cattle located in a paddock somewhere that you might be looking for or that are coming up at a sale yard. So um, we sort of just um, thrashed out that idea and came up with a website concept that would fit with how industry already buys and sells cattle. So it's not bringing any significant change to industry to have to adapt to what they're already doing um, and just to bring about some greater market reach. So um, that's how Cattle Sales was born and uh, launched in 2016. And both of you were living quite remotely then too. You didn't have the luxury of, of, you know, a mobile tower on your doorstep and this is a solely online business. What was it like setting it up at that time and being able to market it to people who traditionally had, you know, picked up the phone or dealt with people face to face and now you're asking them to look on a website? Well, it certainly presented some challenges, Jane. I can remember some rather teary phone calls to my internet service provider asking if they could please um, extend my <laughs> data for the month so I could at least view the website that we wanted to launch. Um, so, yeah, we've come a fair way. You know, we've got SkyMaster and things now, which have made a big difference. But, um, yeah, certainly we were over a 1,000 kilometres apart and, you know, having our meetings via phone um, before the Zoom, you know, revolution uh, and often meeting with our web team and that in Brisbane separately just when we were passing through for other reasons. Um, so we, it certainly presented presented its challenges um, and, and presenting to an industry that is very traditional and not necessarily one that loves to jump on um, tech ideas. That's well, why we developed it the way we did. Too, I just, I was reading um, a story just before of when you first launched and I, I'm not going to lie, I had a little giggle because... The point was that you and Annabelle were both on stage launching this business, both pregnant to this room of quite traditional um, pastoralists. That must have been a fairly daunting task in, its, in itself. It was, and, and we knew, um, you know, we were going out on a limb to create something new, I guess, but um, we certainly believed in it ourselves because we knew the benefit it could bring to our own beef businesses. Um, and I guess as long as you're solving a problem for industry, you're always going to to have some appetite for it. So um, we were really pleased with the response when we launched at World Brahman Congress, which was also in um, 
Rockhampton. It did uh, feel a little like beef because it was at the showgrounds, but um, wasn't certainly the size of it. But um, yeah, it was well received. And I guess we're really conscious when we were building it that it had to be something that wasn't, you know, going to be a big time consuming issue or a game changer to the way everyone operated. It was actually designed to save people time and to just be part of the process. They're already doing to sell cattle um, or to look to buy cattle, but just making it quicker and easier. So what about the agents? Was it something that they were all excited about or are you cutting into their territory? No, we, we, we built it to, you know, essentially for agents to use and to give them some additional tools. So it was just a matter of marketing that that was the, um, that was the aim of the, the platform and, and what it was designed to do and certainly not to, um, to cut them out. But, um, you know, we, we, we know agents do often get worried about these new things, I guess, and that that's the you know, point of trying to cut them out. But in our opinion, we think agents will always have a place um, and the security of that and, and sale yards and things. So because we incorporate all sale points through the website um, and, and we have those strong beliefs ourselves, I guess, um, agents were always going to be in mind and that was, you know, essentially what it was built for for them to use. Now, another one of your hats, put that one down, we're going to put on the uh, the advocacy, uh, I can never say that properly, role that you have. But obviously, uh, rural Queensland, but rural Australia has had a number of issues to deal with in the last few years. But you and a group of central Queensland producers have really taken on the battle yourselves. So how did um, From the Heart of Queensland come about? Uh, it came about back with the proposed changes to the veg management legislation in 2018 here in Queensland. So... Um, I guess this is where a bit of a blend of my legal career and um, my passion for the um, beef industry uh, came together and um, with a group of like-minded people and myself, Josie Angus and Cameron Hewitt founded um, Queensland Food Future, which uh, facilitates the True Story campaign in early 2018. Just in the response to the proposed changes to the veg management legislation, it was just you know, it seemed ludicrous at the time. We were speaking at the parliamentary hearings in Rockhampton and um, Longreach and flying to Brisbane for rallies and when, you know, um, the science and the facts were there saying how wrong this was and what it was going to do to industry and the, and the impact. And uh, we felt that whilst our industry representative bodies were doing everything they could to try and um, stop these changes, they just kept coming and this was just another one, you know, um, in the in the breadth of many of them so we thought we'd have a go at taking a grassroots message to voters and consumers and and speaking to them as you know just farmers to consumers and see how that went it was received really well so we decided to continue the campaign and we've worked on reef and um, reef regulations and a couple of other things since then and we plan to continue to keep it going. The videos and the and the media that you've produced is incredible it's obviously very polished and you've really gone the extra mile there you obviously took that on yourselves. Did other producers come on board and, and get behind you or was it because not enough people were really understanding what was happening? Oh, definitely, Jane. There's a team of us. When I mentioned Cameron goes and myself, we were just three that had an initial chat and, and put our names to the to the um, organisation, I guess. But um, there's a great team. They've got about, uh, probably about 20 of us. Um, most are from around Claremont and Central Queensland. There are, there are a few scattered elsewhere um, who've been part of the videos, um, who fly down and man the site that we have at Ecker each year. We have a huge interactive um, and educational site down there, as you know, Jane, because mm-hmm. you've uh, done your own spin up there last year. Um, <laughs> Very yeah. Mentioning that, you know, there's a wide team of, um, of people who, who, you know, managed it pull all these campaigns off. You know, do you feel that um, producers 
are across some of these issues or that a lot of these things are decided outside the everyday sphere of work and mustering and marketing and all those sort of things and out of sight, out of mind? I think there's a few schools of thought. I think there's obviously that out of school, out of mind thing. I think that people think that you can't do anything about it anyway. So, um, you know, better focusing on your own business than trying to fight the government yet again. And that, and there's definitely, you know, I can see where they're coming from. And I think there's also a pool of people who um, are just sick of trying to fight government and, and trying to attend things and have their say and feel like they never are hurt. So you can definitely get to that point of feeling... Um, defeated and we've even felt like that the campaigns are doing ourselves but I guess the wonderful thing we've got to experience is being at ECHO each year is seeing and talking firsthand um, to consumers and people that are voting in Brisbane and I know it's not everyone but you know we we put thousands of people through our site over that 10 days of ECHO and, and they just leave smiling and saying thank you and wow I just never knew this and and you know their eyes are really opened up to what the agricultural industry really is and it, and it, you know we hear about the divide and bridging the gap but at the end of the day um, them talking to a real farmer or grazier and, and hearing some of these things firsthand um, they appreciate the honesty and the trouble you take in telling your story and the facts down there I think and we found it to be really impactful and it's really um, nice to know that people do still care and want to know so I wish that everyone could see and experience that and realise it is still worth having the fight. I think people are, well, consumers are becoming a lot more conscious of where their food comes from and do love a good background story. Um, and, you know, especially when you can look it up online or tap it into a search engine and, and get something such as one of your videos or um, talking to a, to a farmer, are we getting better as, as a beef industry at putting our stories out there? I think slowly, you know, I think... Different industry bodies are doing different things. I think in the you know recent times of COVID, um, NFF's been doing some stuff around food security, which um, you know none of, no one wished for the recent pandemic to be put upon us or the the outcomes and the impacts of that. But I think it certainly um, has probably opened a lot of people's eyes to the fortunate position of food security Australia has, and and how lucky we are to have. Um, you know, world-class farmers and grazers in our backyard making and producing food every day. And some countries just don't have that um, that luxury. So I think, you know, that has been, not, if you can say, a, a positive out of COVID, um, which I know is a long stretch, but um, it's it's something that maybe is, is being brought to the forefront. And I know people have said for a long time that Australia is a country that hasn't been in a position where they you know, have essentially starved, I guess, and haven't really had to have a lot of regard to food security. Um, it's just always there. You can go to a supermarket and there's always fresh food. So um, it's easy to, 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 you know, see an ad on TV or see a campaign happening in Brisbane by an activist group or something and start to doubt, the, you know, the production of food and what's involved. So I think the gap is still definitely there, but I think it is, um, you know, there's work being done to try and to close that and to, I guess, um, provide that information that consumers do actually want to know. Yeah, I was talking to Fiona Simpson, um, president of the NFF, the other day for another story, and she said that she was genuinely shocked at people's reaction to food security. She just had, you know, she said um, people really did doubt it and that was that was quite shocking and that they do have a lot more work to do at really drumming that home. And I, I have to say that surprised me too. <laughs> I, I guess maybe when you're producing food all the time, you sort of get lulled into a sense of security in a different way. 
Yeah, and I guess that's right, Jane. Like we're so sure in ourselves that we know what we're doing is right and, you know, we're doing the right things by our land, by our animals and, you know, we've got so much food and a surplus that we have such great um, export markets in Australia as well. Yet even during this COVID pandemic, I've seen comments on Facebook like, you know, we need to stop the export of food and Australian produce going overseas. We need to save it for ourselves and, you know, people have got no idea that we produce so much. It's not only enough to feed our <laughs> nation. extremely but wasteful, it's- actually. <laughs> Yeah, and people don't know that um, and it's happening in their own backyard. So it is shocking and we clearly do have a lot more work to do. But um, So think, is that um, our responsibility though as producers to be doing that work or is that the work of our representative bodies? All of I don't them? think it's necessarily our responsibility. I think it can be fraught with danger a little um, if everyone was to start their own marketing and, you know, advocacy campaign. Um, we obviously went out on a limb, you know, doing what we did but – um, we had a pretty wide cohort of people. We were working um, with Ag Force Queensland. We were, you know, and we've worked with MLA and, and that at ECA. So we've always aligned with with industry messaging and and you know not uh, wanted to be seen as some renegade mob of farmers who are trying to <laughs> deliver a new message. Um, we've just tried to add a grassroots voice to what industry bodies are doing. And yeah, I think we all still have a lot to work to do. Yeah, well, that was my next point because there are so many different industry bodies and and speaking to young people over the course of certainly the last two years but that was the one of the main issues that keeps coming up is that you know it's it's overwhelming when you start to sort of go oh I could do a bit more and get a bit more involved and then you go oh my god where do I start when we're talking about storytelling and I guess sometimes that can be people being more active on Facebook and giving an insight into the everyday on their properties or it could be you know bigger scale what you're doing is is there is there a saturation point? Are we going to split the message somewhere or are we better off, you know, as you say, bringing a few of these campaigns and ideas together? I'd like to see coordinated, yeah, unification and bringing some of these industry messages and campaigns together. And it's great to see NFF starting to do some stuff in this space because I think, um, you know, we've got, we've got the facts, we've got the science. It's just a matter of getting it communicated and out there and and for an everyday producer feeling like what can they do I mean I know that feeling and you're like wondering where it's best to add value to your voice or how you can even go about doing it but I think um you know we've said some of the simple messages if you're on a plane or you know you're somewhere in in an urban area even just a simple conversation you know saying that you are a farmer and what you do every day is eye-opening to people that's all we do at ECA I mean obviously we've got facts and things on display but they just value that you know, one-on-one time of really talking to someone and getting to ask questions. And I don't think you can underestimate the value of those conversations yeah. when you're outside of your normal world and bubble of being on the property. Yeah, that connection for sure. Now, when I was, um, you know, researching for this episode, and we've mentioned before that we have known each other for a while, but I guess that also makes me probably more nervous because I always get a bit scared that I'll miss something. But I, you know, bit of research, asked a couple of people what I should talk to you about Number one on everyone's list was how on earth um, you invent hours in the day. Everyone just wants to know how on earth you're, you know, you work till 2am in these crazy hours all the time and you um, are so have so much clarity and enthusiasm and energy still. <laughs> how, how do you juggle all of your different roles? And I guess now also you've just been named the NAB Agribusiness Cattle Council Rising Champion for 2020 and the Queensland Agri-Futures Rural Women's Award uh, recipient as well. 
Well, I don't have any answer for that. I wish there was something I could take really? that came in a bottle that I could work 24 hours a day. But it oh. All I can uh, say is I guess when you're doing something that you love and enjoy, then, you know, you, you find time for it, I guess, which is often late at night or early mornings. And I've also got um, two children, I guess, who've got me in a great routine of not getting much sleep. So um, <laughs> as they, uh, I just feel the time as they grow up and get better with their sleeping, then I can do more, I guess, in that space. But... <laughs> But I think, no, really, Jane, I, I do really like um, the ag industry and I like my uh, legal work. And, when, yeah, when you like something that you're doing, I think um, it makes it easy to, to commit to the time to put into it. Absolutely. I was really hoping for a bit more of a silver bullet there because sometimes <laughs> I just I marvel at how much you get to get done. I Coming guess... from Jane, the Wonder Woman herself. But anyway. <laughs> Um, Just speaking about your two small children, you're just entering the exciting world of distance education with your eldest child. How important is it that, you know, not all of your work is necessarily based around Clermont or where you live, but you've really carved out your own lifestyle out there? How important is it for you to be living in the rural area involved in the beef industry with a young family? Oh, I think um, growing up, you know, regionally is a priceless thing I mean you and I have both done it and we and we know firsthand the benefit of a great childhood you have um not growing up in in the city and and all the you know experiences and and benefits it can bring but um having done school there myself and and you and I were former uh, classmates on the old um two-way radio style communication (laughs) (laughs) we uh, too much noise Miss (laughs) Saunders I hope to think that we didn't uh, turn out too badly, but um, but distance education has come a hell of a long way um, since then. And, and, you know, now I just, goodness, um, the, the technology they're using and the virtual blackboards and the, the um, connections with the teachers multiple times daily is a long way from our once a week dial in on the, um, on the radio. So, so yeah, it's it's an it's an amazing education, and it's a so such a fortunate thing to be able to be so involved with your own child's education that you can see exactly where they're at and what they're learning or what they're struggling with. And um, I have a fantastic governess and nanny who does teach my daughter most days of the week, um, but I do teach one day a week, and it's great to to sort of know where she's up to and and things, and um, yeah, it brings back a lot of memories and. I think it's a, it's a great opportunity of an education. You're not going to start recorder lessons anytime soon, though. I've noticed actually our distance ed doesn't have them. I feel a little bit ripped off. I think somewhere along the line after you and I finished, um, the recorder lessons got culled, yes. How disappointing. <laughs> now, we're, going, we're here to talk about beef. You've had a, an amazing career with Beef Australia with the various roles and responsibilities. What are you doing at this year's event? Where can we find you now that you're an older person and not, uh, you know, necessarily next gen? Yes, well, now I'm off the next gen bandwagon. Um, I'm on the seminars symposium committee for beef 2021 which is really exciting i have never managed to make it to the symposium before on a monday (laughs) but um obviously it's the kickoff event of the week it's a huge event with some massive keynote speakers so i'm really excited about who we're looking at trying to line up for 2021 some of the speakers i've had my eye on wanting to be able to to see them speak one day so um hopefully post covid we can um you know, bring them to Rockhampton. But um, yeah, that's where the role that I'm playing for 2021. What's your advice to people planning their week? Because they, uh, 
the last beef I'm going to use is the most recent example. There was, it was almost too much. It was overwhelming and you just, there were so many things you couldn't get to because there was other things going on. That's a really bad way of explaining that. But what's your advice when people are planning out their week with so many symposiums and forums? You basically need to prepare for a marathon and start about now. (laughs) Accurate advice. I have a lot of memory of 2018 running literally from event to event. Um, Probably terribly overcommitted didn't help. But um, I think sitting down on the website, you know, before ticketing comes out and really, you know, marking off what you just absolutely don't want to miss because the tickets sell so fast for the seminar program. Um, and the social events, of course, but um, if we're focusing on the priorities. Of- we all want to learn something, Alicia. We're not all chasing the beers. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'd suggest Maybe. doing that well in advance of ticketing and, yeah, mapping out the week because, you, you know, it's certainly an event you can just turn up to and have an amazing time being wandering around the trade fair and the grounds. Um, but in terms of the ticketed stuff, it does sell out so far in advance. You really do have to be organised if you don't want to miss out. I have been asking everyone who has come on the podcast so far about your favourite cut of beef um, for a Tuesday night. I don't want fancy dinner party, you know, whatever. I want to know, out of all of the cuts on a beast, what do you enjoy cooking just on an average weekday night? I'd have to say the brisket goes out of the freezer pretty fast. <laughs> Smoky brisket or sticky brisket or braised, how do you do it? Bit of the fan of the corn brisket or corn. the um, glazed brisket, yeah, okay. slow roasted. Right. My sister's been pestering me for about a month about a, a, a sticky brisket recipe that I pulled out of a camp oven a few times. But, of course, it's something you just almost do when you're camping and I can't tell her any kind of yeah. <laughs> I think I remember putting That's also that why it's a good cut because it just works like that. <laughs> oh, no, it's delicious. Um, good one. I, I, I concur with that wholeheartedly. Thank you so much for your time today, Alicia, uh, and for having a chat with us. Thanks, Jane. I look forward to catching you around the ridges at Beef next year, just like we did last time. <laughs> yeah, except I'm not wearing um, new boots this time. That was just a rookie error. <laughs> Um, (laughs) lovely to chat to you Alicia we'll talk to you soon thanks Jane thanks for listening you can hit subscribe to make sure you don't miss any of our episodes and if you are enjoying listening to the show we would appreciate a quick rating and review visit beefaustralia.com.au for more information on this great event